Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you here on the pod. If you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online Podcast as of yet, we would certainly appreciate you doing so. You can do that wherever you consume podcasts. You're going to find the Bama Online Podcast. If you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, We'd greatly appreciate that as well. So much to get into on the podcast this time around. On the heels of another spotlight weekend for Alabama football and men's basketball. We'll get into all of that with you. Alabama obviously represented in New York City at the 2021 Heisman Trophy. Bryce Young wins the 2021 Heisman Trophy, the Alabama quarterback in a landslide. Will Anderson, the Alabama outside linebacker, finishes fifth in the voting. I said it last week, Will Anderson very much deserving of a place among the finalists. But that being said, I didn't want that narrative to sort of overshadow Young's accomplishment, assuming he did win the award, which he did in very impressive and emphatic fashion. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's still the winner we're all going to remember most, even in two years from now. You know, in two years from now, what we're going to remember is Bryce Young winning the award. That's not to discount the legitimacy of Anderson's campaign to be a Heisman finalist. I've talked about it since September. You know, if there's really an area, though, where outrage is especially justified, it's that Will Anderson took home just one defensive-specific award here in the last week, that being the Nagurski Trophy early last week as the nation's top defensive player. So no Buckus Award annually given to the top linebacker in college football. No Bednarik Award, which goes also to the top defensive player in college football. And both of those should have been slam dunks. For a guy who currently sits with 31 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks, and 91 total tackles. And remember, he's done all this, Will Anderson has, without Christopher Allen on the other side to take some of the focus off of him. Now, what we're already seeing is a lot of early campaigning for Will Anderson in 2022. Here's guessing, though, that barring injury, Will won't need a lot of folks caping for him. He needed more of that earlier in the season. He needed that more so back in September. You know, we saw it more in late October, early November, but, you know, even if he doesn't have the same kind of numbers next season, assuming he's at least in the neighborhood of what he's done in 2021, he's going to win every individual defensive honor. And he's going to be very much in the discussion for the Heisman Trophy in a year's time. As for Bryce Young, first Alabama quarterback to win college football's most coveted award and fourth UA player to take it home since 2009. You already knew this, but anyone holding out hope that Nick Saban isn't the greatest to ever do it, four Heismans, including three at different positions, that's just another mic drop sort of bullet point for Nick Saban where his legacy is concerned. As for me watching the ceremony on Saturday night, it you know, with three kids of my own, it's taken on more of this parental viewpoint for me. 
Uh, it's hard not to do that. If you're a parent out there, you certainly can relate to what I'm talking about here. And obviously, with three kids that have been exceptionally busy or were exceptionally busy with different activities, different sports growing up, you feel like it's relatable on some level. I certainly feel that way. Having a one of our kids pursue a a dream of being a Division One college athlete and fulfilling that. Uh, you're sitting there and you're watching Craig Young and you're watching Julie Young, the parents of Bryce, and you're feeling a, a sense of familiarity at least. You're feeling the pride that they're they're sensing there with this incredible accomplishment by Bryce Young. And then you think about Bryce's individual situation as far as the dynamics involved. A lot of pros and cons in a situation like Bryce's. Only child, right? So every resource and hope is poured into him. Probably not all that different when you think about Tiger Woods and his upbringing under Earl Woods and his, uh, you know, Tiger's mom. You know, the con is that with all that, there are probably times when you wish you had a sibling to help deflect the focus. And while Nalu Tonga-Vailoa is very much a quarterback dad to Tua. At least Tua had some refuge in that he wasn't the only quarterback in the family. There's Talia there to help divert some of that focus. So, And there's plenty of cautionary tales out there when it comes to uh, prodigal sort of quarterbacks. Just look at Todd Marinovich out of Southern California. You know, you got to go back a ways. This is more geared probably to the old heads, but Todd Marinovich, back in the mid-80s, was referred to as the Robo-QB. He's at that top of the list when you talk about cautionary tales. And from his diet to his workout regimen, he was literally raised by his father, Marv, to be an elite quarterback. And while there were flashes of that from Todd Marinovich, both at USC and in the National Football League, it ended with Marinovich not only coming up well short of expectations, but also falling victim to addiction and associated issues off the field. As for Bryce Young's situation, I know of a former Alabama staffer who was a bit taken aback by his first encounter or two with Craig Young, even by quarterback standards. Young seemed a little bit over the top to this former UA staffer, and Considering Bryce's age at the time is how I'll sort of classify that. You know, this was an introduction that wasn't just a couple of years ago. Bryce was very young during this process. And, you know, but when you think about it, even prior to Bryce Young's entrance to the high school level, there were already concerns about his size. So getting to jump on that narrative and controlling it was probably more important to Young's candidacy for a place at the power five level now it's become more commonplace for sub six foot six foot sub six foot quarterbacks to have a place at that table thanks to guys like kyler murray and guys like russell wilson um it was certainly still more difficult for Bryce in all likelihood than it was for say marinovich back in his day or even uh, carson beck who looked to be headed to Alabama before flipping to Georgia and opening the door for Alabama to really pursue Young. You talk about a couple of flips to the Georgia Bulldogs that have worked out okay for Alabama. How about Jake Fromm 
and Carson Beck for Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Mac Jones, you could say, in that same class with Tua, and then also Bryce Young. That's another podcast for another day, right? Anyway, the process for quarterbacks continues to be very different than it is for other positions, with maybe specialists being the lone exception. Football, of course, is a team sport still, though. The quarterback role is very much individualistic. I mean, when you think about it, what do we have? Private quarterback coaches. So a lot of the development is isolated and not as much team-oriented as it was, say, 20, 25 years ago. Even our expectations in terms of preparation are different for the quarterback than other positions. No one talks about the left guard blowing an assignment due to a lack of preparedness. Meanwhile, a quarterback throws an interception and, well, he obviously didn't spend enough time in the film room. How many times have you heard that? Even if it has more to do with a wide receiver running the wrong route or not making the correct read against, say, zone coverage, it's the quarterback who gets to answer for it post game. And Young, in his first full season as a starter, not that he had many of those moments where there was blame to be placed on his shoulders or someone else's. He handled all of that with a plum. And for me, it all says something about how he was raised. So full credit to Craig and Julie Young on a job well done with their son, Bryce. Now, Young's win on Saturday night got me to thinking about maybe his top performances from the 2021 season to date. So with that, how about a top five? Maybe maybe not so much just in terms of games in their entirety, uh, but even just stretches, sequences where his dominance really shined through through the first 13 games of the season. I'll start at number five and I'll give you Mississippi State. Alabama's coming off the loss at Texas A&M. Looks to be vulnerable in going against a state team that's coming off a bye week following a win at Texas A&M. And Bryce Young goes 20 for 28 for 348 and four touchdowns with no interceptions in a 49-9 blowout of the Bulldogs. I thought that was a very impressive answer, not only for this Alabama football team, but also for the quarterback in a second straight road game to go into Starkville and just absolutely take care of business from start to finish. Number four, I'll go Tennessee. Career high at the time, anyway. You think back on the numbers that Bryce had even after the Tennessee game in late October. And 371 sounds really low for a career high, but he threw for 371 and four touchdowns in the win over the Vols, including... Uh, he had four total touchdowns. He had two rushing touchdowns, which sort of signaled the beginning of maybe a more aggressive approach to running the football. Not that he went crazy in terms of numbers of attempts, but maybe more assertive in going after yards and trying to finish runs, especially in the end zone, excuse me, in the red zone, in the end zone. And he averaged 21 yards per completion on third down in that win over the Vols. That was a that was a fourth quarter game with Tennessee in Tuscaloosa. Number three, I'm going to go Auburn. Not his best game as we know, but when you talk about when the game was on the line, you know he followed up the game tying touchdown pass to to Ja'Cory Brooks in the final minute of regulation with scoring strikes to Slade Bolden and John Mechie twice in overtime, and. 
really, you talk about Heisman moments for Bryce Young, and a lot of people will point to the touchdown passage of Corey Brooks, and understandably so, but the fourth down completion on that drive to Jalil Billingsley, where you see Bryce Young in the lead-up to really a game-deciding play, just the calm and the poise. The guy's actually out there smiling before he takes on a fourth and seven on the road at Jordan-Hare. Of his 317 passing yards against Auburn, 247 came after halftime. So I got the Auburn game three. Two, I'm going to go Arkansas. You know, he only threw it 40 times. I say only, but that's not an exceedingly high number of attempts in today's game. But he throws it 40 times against Arkansas for a school record 559 passing yards, averaged nearly 14 yards per attempt, five touchdown passes for Bryce Young in the game. He passed for more than 100 yards in each of the four quarters of that game. Another four-quarter situation with the pesky Razorbacks. Um, in the midsection of that Arkansas game, the second and third quarters, Bryce Young with 355 passing yards. It was his fifth straight game without an interception and fifth contest of the season with four or more touchdown passes. And in that game against Arkansas on third down where he has been so good throughout the season. He was five of six for 105 yards and three first downs. He also had Alabama's longest run in the win over Arkansas, a uh, 16-yarder in that game. And then at number one, I'm going to have Georgia. The second quarter alone, again, we talk about maybe just sequences and stretches of play for Bryce Young when we consider Uh, this list, but the second quarter, 13 of 18 for 248, two touchdowns and a rushing TD. Uh, Not his most efficient performance in terms of completion percentage, but 421 passing yards, uh, three touchdowns, and then the touchdown run to go with that. And he had six third down completions, Bryce Young did in that win over Georgia that totaled 151 yards, one of those being the 67-yard Touchdown pass to Jamison Williams in the second quarter of that game that really started that 24-point surge in the second quarter for Alabama. You know, even when Bryce Young fumbled the football in the first 13 games of the season, it usually worked out okay. He had the big fumble recovery of his own fumble there in the second quarter against Georgia. He had the same thing against Tennessee uh, down there at the goal line in the win over the Vols. So, That would be the five I would give you for Bryce Young in terms of his performances of the season to date. And even in the loss to Texas A&M, he wasn't terrible. Now, he did have the interception. Uh, He was also a part of a lost fumble. You know, had a bad exchange with Brian Robinson there in the first half of the loss to the Aggies. But again, Bryce Young's not done yet. And this is a guy... You consider he's got at least one more year at the college level. He's only going to improve in terms of game management, decision-making, probably with, if anything, more of an emphasis on the RPO game and not even so much just throwing off RPO action, um, but decision-making on when to give, when to keep, those type of things in the RPO game. And look, I know a lot of folks out there don't want to do it, But don't we have to give some credit to Bill O'Brien here? Again, I know he's been a favorite target among some Alabama fans, 
But what was his top objective coming into this gig, coming into this season? Wasn't it to get maximum production out of the quarterback position, specifically Bryce Young? And seeing as how Young is on track to own all of the single-season passing records that you really care about, I don't think an argument can be made that O'Brien hasn't been successful in doing just that. So, yeah, you might have to suck it up a little bit. Give a little credit to Bill O'Brien. And with all this, Alabama will start prep for Cincinnati later in the upcoming week. And when it does that, we're going to have questions, right? Going to have questions about wide receiver with John Mechie out. Is it Ja'Cory Brooks time? It would seem as if that would be the case because Ja'Cory's a guy who has worked primarily on the outside. You've got Slade Bolden in the slot. And then, of course, you got Jamison Williams uh, at the other outside position. You can do some different things with Jamison Williams. You can get him in the slot. Those bunch formations were really effective for Alabama against Georgia. So I suspect we'll continue to see more of that as you get into the college football playoff with an emphasis on Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, You're also going to have some continued questions about this offensive line, looking more so at center than any other position, I would think. Chris Owens looks to have reaffirmed himself as the guy at right tackle. But what about center? If Darian Dahlcourt is better, if he's improved from that ankle issue, is he getting back in there? You were so good with Seth McLaughlin. Seth McLaughlin wasn't perfect in terms of carrying out uh, assignments and execution, but that group looked far more connected and together with Seth McLaughlin in there than what we had seen pretty much throughout the entire 2021 regular season. And then you got to look at the cornerback spots on defense. Josh Job reportedly out for the college football playoff uh, with that foot injury. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis dealing with a hip issue that's kept him out of the last couple of games. You're looking at Kool-Aid McKinstry having made a couple of starts at corner here down the stretch. Is Kyrie Jackson next up? If Jalen Armour Davis can't go, some things to sort through there, certainly at the cornerback spots as well. And we'll have all that covered for you as the Alabama Crimson Tide. Once we get through the early signing date coming up on Wednesday, immediately shifts its focus to the Cincinnati Bearcats and getting back out on the practice field. Hey, before we talk some hoops and a little bit of recruiting, want to remind you that home field apparel is the place for you to take care of that Christmas list for those Bama fans that you need to gift here coming up in the rapidly approaching deadline for Christmas. Just go to homefieldapparel.com. You're going to find so many great apparel options for you and yours there. The vintage look is all the rage. I get it. That's what people love right now. And you're going to find some old school Alabama look and comfort that you're not going to find anywhere else when it comes to home field apparel. Look, don't go to home field apparel unless you want to be cool. That's all I know to tell you. The best looking stuff, the best feeling stuff is available 
in Alabama gear at Home Field Apparel, homefieldapparel.com at checkout. Enter Bama247 and you're going to get 15% off your initial purchase there at homefieldapparel.com. Plenty of time for you to get you and yours decked out in new gear before the college football playoff rolls around. Hey, what about that Saturday night? at Coleman Coliseum as the Alabama men's basketball team nipped 14th ranked Houston 83-82 in a game that very much felt like a second weekend matchup in the NCAA tournament. In other words, a 16, an 8. And really, you could say that for the second straight weekend, Alabama won a game that felt like a second weekend game in the big dance, having previously knocked off Gonzaga out in Seattle. Uh, I did three predictions for the game at BamaOnline.com going into it. Uh, tried to make some calls on what we might see and and how that might play out for Alabama. One of those, the first one I made, was Alabama will attempt fewer than 25 three-pointers in the game. That was based largely on how aggressive Houston guards out on the perimeter, and as it turned out, Alabama did get up 18 threes in the game, so did attempt fewer than 25, which, as we know, this is an Alabama team. If it if it's able to, it'll get up 30-plus a game. Now, five of Alabama's seven makes from three in the game Saturday night came from Jaden Shackelford, and he had two big ones with under four minutes to go, including a four-point play. Um that gave Alabama the lead a couple of times there in the final 333. Uh, there was the potential for turnover issues, again, based on the way Houston gets after you defensively. That was a problem for Alabama in the first half, and Houston made use of those turnovers to outscore Alabama 14 to nothing off of turnovers. But Alabama did a better job in the second half of taking care of the basketball with an emphasis on Javon Quinterly. Javon Quinterly was National Player of the Year good, I thought, with everything that was on his shoulders, with the understanding that for Alabama to win a close game against a quality, dogged, defensive opponent like Houston, it was going to take Javon Quinterly pretty much staying on the basketball. I know that Nate Oates likes to share that load from time to time, but in a game like Saturday night's against a team like Houston's, Quinterly was just going to have to be on the ball for pretty much all of the second half. And, you know, he did that in the final 20 minutes while scoring 11 points, dishing out three assists, and didn't turn the basketball over at all. So just three turnovers for Alabama in the second half after committing 12 in the first half also felt like, The potential was there for Alabama to get to the free throw line. Again, based on the way Houston guards, Houston wanted to run Alabama off the three-point line, make Alabama win the game at the rim. And Alabama ended up shooting 31 free throws in the game, making 24, so right around 80% for Alabama from the line. Houston, on the other hand, just 11 of 19 from the free throw line. So the Crimson Tide ends up plus 13 from the line. Pretty important. Pretty important, I would say. Alabama, in terms of guard play, got 45 combined points from Shackelford, Quinterly, J.D. Davis, and Huge in that final minute with the follow-up dunk. And a lot of that created by having guys like Quinterly 
and also Shackelford, who can get to the rim and can really attract the attention of multiple defenders. You know, when you've got Quinterly getting downhill consistently and Shackelford is able to do that as well, what that presents you with is even off of a miss, the opportunity to have a follow-up and a dunk follow like you saw from J.D. Davison after the drive by Javon Quinterly. Now, on the other end, (laughs) J.D. uh, seals the game with a bat of a, again, and Houston just absolutely hammered Alabama on the boards with with the offensive glass, uh, particularly in mine. And it looked like, it looked like it was almost going to be it was almost going to be poetic justice in a way because of the way Houston hammered Alabama uh, on the offensive glass. It looked like Houston was going to win the game off an offensive rebound. It didn't go and the preceding sequence, you've got a ball that's not on the rim, ball's not in the cylinder. JD Davison goes up, bats it out of bounds. Um, Kelvin Sampson loses his mind. Uh, you end up with a borderline melee on the floor at Coleman Coliseum. You end up with a trash can and chairs knocked over and, uh, not a good look for Houston basketball going off the court Saturday night, but it still ends with an Alabama win 83 to 82 over the Cougars, and we talked about the three predictions, and you know the sub-25 three-point shots was one of them. I also thought limiting scoring options for Houston beyond Marcus Sasser, the star guard for the Cougars, was very important. Sasser got his 25, came in averaging right at 18 a game, but he needed 25 shots and five free throws to get there, so it wasn't a very efficient 25. And again, the biggest problem for Alabama beyond Sasser was the offensive glass. I mean, a couple of guys off the Houston bench, Jawan Roberts, Josh Carlton, some bigger, more experienced dudes really had their way. You know, Roberts had a game high 13 rebounds. Nine of those were offensive boards. Alabama uh, dealt with a deficit of 21 to 7 that Houston enjoyed the edge there on the offensive glass. That went a long way in Houston having a 23-8 to edge and second chance points in the game. And, you know, for Alabama, it was a tough one for a couple of the posts. Charles Bediaco, Noah Gurley, both those guys fouled out, and each of them had just one rebound in the game. Kind of speaks to the dominance, again, that Houston had on the glass. And I also felt like one of my predictions, first to 70 points would win the game. I didn't know if this game would get into the 80s. Credit to Houston. Houston came in as the nation's number two ranked scoring defense uh, at the Division I level. So, you know, Houston wanted to keep this thing more in the 70s. And certainly in the 60s, it wouldn't have minded that at all. That was more of its sweet spot. But the game got into the 80s, and Houston was still able to, thanks in large part again to the offensive glass and some turnover issues for Alabama in the first half, uh, get itself in a position to have a chance to win a game in the 80s. And, you know, Houston's toughness was as advertised, I thought. And again, other than Alabama's issues uh, on the backboards, I thought. 
Alabama's guard play between Quinterly, Shackelford, and Davison wasn't just elite. Uh, it was tough. Those guys were tough. Javon Quinterly, I thought, was a hard hat candidate, not just for the way he took care of the basketball and uh, remained aggressive in the face of some really good perimeter defense. Uh, same could be said for Shackelford, who you know really came on down the stretch. You wondered if Alabama was going to get enough out of its perimeter players there. Uh, but Shackelford rose up late. Davison was big late. And whereas we talk about some of the deficiencies Alabama had in the post, you definitely want to credit Jawan Gary um, on a on a nice night, uh, especially in the first half. He finishes with 19, uh, four rebounds, and again the rebound deficit was was pretty significant. Again on the offensive glass, but you know Quinterly, you just can't say enough about 17 points on seven of 11 shooting. Uh, he has eight assists, just three turnovers, a couple of steals, really check the boxes. Now, Alabama certainly wants to get more out of Keon Ellis. Keon 0 for 5 from the field, but did go 4 for 4 from the line, so that was a positive, but not one of those stat-stuffing nights for Keon Ellis in 29 minutes of action. And kind of the same thing for Darius Miles. Uh, he was 0 for from the field as well. Alabama's bench, other than J.D. Davison, you know, Gurley gave them eight points, made six of seven free throws, but the backboard between Betty Ako and, and Gurley, uh, that was a, an issue for, for Alabama throughout the game. It is, though, a win for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Up next for Nate Oates' team, you got Memphis on Tuesday night at the FedEx Forum on the road for Alabama. First true road game of the season for UA, although that trip to Seattle, that was a road game to take on Gonzaga. And so this game, I think, will have a similar feel because the buildings are similar, more NBA-type arenas uh, than pits that you find on campuses around college basketball. That's going to be an 8 p.m. Central tip on Tuesday night. That game will air on ESPN, and of course, Talented Memphis team under Penny Hardaway. It's headlined by Amani Bates, the talented 17-year-old forward who really, you know, based on his age, he doesn't turn 18 until next month, Amani Bates. He could almost be really a junior, I think, in high school, let alone a high school senior. But the Tigers limp in having lost four in a row, including two of those losses coming at the hands of SEC teams in Georgia and Ole Miss, so a struggling, desperate Memphis team is what you should expect coming up on Tuesday night. And of course, early signing day once again coming up on Wednesday, Alabama with a big official visit weekend, including some late ads of note to the visit list. You're seeing some decommitments. Clemson with some of the IMG guys, I guess. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, not just a departure of his AD, not just a departure of his coordinators, uh, but uh, not just a departure of some players to the portal, but some commitments opening things back up. And all the details from the weekend right there at Bama Online with Tim Watts, our site publisher, and Hank South, our recruiting analyst, leading the way. Alabama went into the weekend with 21 commitments Isaiah Bond, the athlete prospect who projects as a wide receiver at Alabama, 
The Crimson Tide's most recent verbal, getting that done last Thursday, and then Bond and fellow UA commitment safety, Jake Pope, they won a state title with Buford High School over in the Atlanta area over the weekend. So congratulations to both those guys on winning a state title before making their way to Tuscaloosa. That's going to do it for the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Again, if you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us right there. And if you would leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. You're going to want to keep it locked to BamaOnline.com. That goes without saying. We're going to have college football playoff prep coverage for you there. We're going to have continuing coverage of Alabama men's basketball as it gets ready to head to Memphis for another high-profile matchup, this one on Tuesday night. And, of course, early signing day coming up on Wednesday. Again, Tim Watts, Hank South. Tim with those nuggets, man. Dropping more nuggets than Chick-fil-A, Tim Watts. Uh, You're going to want to hang out with us with Tim and Hank and the rest of the crew at BamaOnline.com. Travis Schreier thanking you once again. Have a great week, everybody.